This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 112. Hi, I'm Todd Henry, author of Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. One of my favorite voices belongs to this guy. It's Jeff Brown and the Read to Lead podcast. The most dangerous customer is not the hater. The most dangerous customer is the meh in the middle. Those people who are dissatisfied but don't tell you and they just fade away and you no longer have their money, nor do you have their insights. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and Valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, and welcome to the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. It's the first official episode of 2016, and the topic of leadership is always uh, at the core of what we're talking about here on Read to Lead, but we also dig into things like personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, and entrepreneurship. And in today's episode, uh, we get to learn from a guy named Jay Bear, who first visited us very early in the life of the podcast, back in episode five, where we talked about his book, Utility, a New York Times best-selling book. Well, today he joins us to talk about his upcoming book called Hug Your Haters, How to Embrace Complaints and Keep Your Customers. Whether you work for another company or for yourself, if you tend to pick your spots when it comes to responding to customer complaints, Jay says that's a mistake, and he's got the research to back it up. He and the folks at Edison Research have done an expansive study on this area, and it's eye-opening, and, and I can't wait for Jay to be able to share with you what he has discovered. I'll be asking him to share, among other things, some of the benefits to hugging your haters, I'll ask Jay about the two types of haters that he's identified and the key differences between them, the rise of what Jay calls on-stage haters and, and what it means for your business, and a lot more. Coming up in the next few weeks, your chance to be a charter member of Read to Lead University. If you'd like to be on the waiting list or to be notified when Read to Lead University launches and goes live, you can simply text the word university if you're in the States to 33444. That's university to 33444. Well, Jay Bear is the world's most retweeted person among digital marketers. He's a renowned business strategist, a keynote speaker, and the New York Times best selling author of five books. And he travels the world helping business people get and keep more customers. He is the founder of Convince and Convert, a strategy consulting firm that helps prominent companies gain and keep more customers through the intersection of technology, social media, and customer service. And his Convince and Convert media division owns the world's number one content marketing blog, the world's top marketing podcast called the Social Pros Podcast, and many other education resources for business owners and executives. Jay is also the author of Hug Your Haters, how to embrace complaints and keep your customers. Not always a very easy thing to do. Jay, welcome back to the Read to Lead podcast. Excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me back, Jeff. I really appreciate the opportunity. 
One of my fondest memories from our last conversation, it's been, gosh, two and a half years ago now, is you finding out while we were on the call together that Utility uh, was going to debut on the New York Times bestseller list. Do you remember yeah, that? I do. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's nice to get an email. I guess the bad news is you shouldn't be checking your email while doing podcasts. <laughs> the good news is that sometimes you have a perfect alignment of scenarios. <laughs> there uh, you go. <laughs> in this case, though, uh, Hug Your Haters isn't actually uh, out yet, yeah. uh, so we can't uh, get that kind of uh, email, but... Uh, uh, let's hope that the uh, same outcome occurs. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Well, we'll start off by just uh, diving into who is it for? Obviously, marketers seem to be uh, an audience for this book. But what about like solopreneurs, CEOs, those in the trenches? Absolutely. In fact, I, I very much wrote this book to to be of use to a, a, a broader audience, perhaps, than my previous works. Mm. Uh, essentially, anybody who has customers and anybody who has people who like them or don't like them probably <laughs> should should read this book. In fact, I just right before uh, we jumped on uh, this show together, I was counseling uh, a colleague who who had put something on Facebook and some people disagreed and kind of got into a little bit of a uh, a virtual Dunnybrook and was like, hey, what what should I do about this? And so uh, now that I've written this book, I, I become everybody's consultant for what do I do when people yell at me, which is a, a fantastic <laughs> opportunity for me. I guess. Uh, but in truth, everybody has haters. You may not know it. You may not choose to acknowledge it. But everybody has somebody uh, out there or multiple people out there who who aren't always uh, in lockstep with, with what you believe or what you're doing. And this book is for you. And one of the things I really appreciate about the book is the is the level of proprietary research that has that has gone into answering some of these these questions. And one of those things that comes out of it uh, that Jay shares early on is some of the benefits to to hugging your haters. So Jay, Jay what are some of those? Yeah, thanks very much, Jeff. I appreciate you acknowledging that. We put a ton of, of effort into the research side of this book. I mean, look, there's there's lots of books out there about customer service, mm. but there's very few books out there that are rooted in proprietary research that, that happened right now. Um, and, and so what I like to tell people is that Hug Your Haters is really the first ever modern book about customer service because it talks about today's reality, the impact of social media on customer service, of review sites, of discussion boards and forums, et cetera. Uh, and, and so the, 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 the world has changed. Customer service is a spectator sport now <laughs> in a way that it simply was not uh, just a short time ago. And so... Um, there's a lot of reasons why why hugging your haters makes sense. And, and first, let me just acknowledge that that people don't do that, right? The the formula for hugging your haters, the advice in the book is that you should answer every complaint mm. in every channel every time. That any time somebody complains, you should answer. Period. Mm. And almost no business does that, especially not online. Mm. You know, offline, if somebody calls, you probably answer it. If somebody emails, you probably email them back. But if somebody messages you on Twitter or Facebook or Yelp or TripAdvisor or whatever the review site is for your industry or talks about you in a discussion board or forum, what we typically do in business, even as individuals, is we answer some complaints some of the time in the channels that we personally prefer. Yeah. It's, it's a random scattershot haphazard approach to customer service, and, and that simply will not work anymore. Um, haters are the single most important customer that you have because they tell you things you don't already know. Positive mm. feedback isn't really that useful because chances are you probably already know what you're good at. 
you don't know what you're not good at. Mm-hmm. And that's why haters are so important. There's some great research. No, this is not research that I conducted, but it's research in, in the field that says that 95% of unhappy customers never take the time to complain in a form or fashion that the business will notice. And so the haters are essentially the early warning detection system uh, for your business. And, and that's why they're so important and why they need to be listened to. Well, let, let's dig into the two types of haters that the research labels or identifies. You've, you've, you've hinted at some of this. Yeah. And some of the key differentiators, Jay, but between the, the two groups. So what we discovered when we when we did the research and, and in this project, we surveyed uh, more than 2000 Americans about who complains, why they complain, where they complain and how. It's essentially the science of complaint. <laughs> and we discovered that there's actually two main and distinct types of haters. There's the off-stage haters, and those are the people that complain in private, primarily on the telephone and via email. And then you have the on-stage haters, which are people that complain in public, social media, discussion boards, review sites. And the expectations and the desires of those groups very, very different. The the demographics are slightly different. The offstage people, a little older, a little less technology savvy, but the demographic differences are not significant. What is significant is what they expect of businesses. So so it's their, their motivations, basically. Absolutely. So what we discovered is that your offstage haters, your telephone and email people, they expect an answer. And in fact, mm. according to our research, about 90% of the time, they expect and anticipate a response from a company. And I'm sure, Jeff, that that syncs with your own experiences, mm. with the experiences of listeners. If you call a company, you you expect that someone will answer the phone or at least call you back. If you email a company, the same thing. It's, it's essentially the social contract at this point. But the onstage haters do not necessarily expect businesses to respond. In fact, about 47% of the time, somebody who complains in social media or in another digital public forum, about 47% of the time, they expect to hear back from a company, meaning that more than half the time, they do not expect to hear back from the company. So when companies take the time to hug those onstage haters, to answer complaints in Twitter, Facebook, Yelp, etc., it has a massive and material impact on customer advocacy as much as a 30% increase in customer advocacy by answering a single complaint from a single hater online. What did you learn, Jay, about how quickly haters tend to expect a response? I know it varies from platform to platform, but what did, what did the research show you? It does. Uh, it shows us a few things. One, business is slower than it should be in every channel, hmm. even in telephone. Uh, speed of response is the most important factor in customer satisfaction, more so than accuracy, more so than politeness. Speed is the most important factor. Why? Because nobody wants to wait on hold. Nobody loves smooth jazz enough to wait on hold uh, at this point. I think the customer <laughs> service industry is single-handedly keeping Kenny G in royalty checks uh, <laughs> via hold music. It's like his only source of income. Um, so email is a huge problem right now for business. This, this will blow you away, Jeff. Mm. Um, so the average amount of time it takes a business to answer an email today is 44 hours. Mm. Now, that's almost two days. Mm. And that is eight hours longer than it was last year, <laughs> which is clearly not the right direction mm. to be moving on that trend line. Right. And so what happens all the time is that you send somebody an email 
a company and they don't get back to you for two days. Well, sometime within that two day period, like, wow, I can't believe these guys aren't going to email me back. I'm now going to take this public because I am now upset. So now I'm going to Twitter or Facebook or some other public forum. And so just because they're not fast enough, businesses are taking offstage haters and creating onstage haters just because they're not fast enough at phone or email, which is just ridiculous. I mean, that, that is, that is a very poor way to run a business. Now, in social media, you have to be even faster still, right? The, the pace of communication there is so different than it is on the phone or email. Our research found that 40% of the onstage haters who complain in social media expect businesses to respond within an hour. Now, that means 60% don't, but still 40% within an hour. On average, uh, businesses reply in social media, those businesses that do reply, and let's note that most businesses don't reply in social media at all, but among those businesses that do reply, it takes them about five hours to respond. So we want it in an hour, they take five. Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) Uh, Share a bit, if you would, Jay, about the rise of of onstage haters uh, going forward, and and not just what the research shows, but I also found fascinating your your anecdotal observations from within your own family. Oh man, I live it every day. I mean, it is it is. I am I am enveloped with this trend like a straitjacket. Uh, today, according to our research, two thirds approximately of complaints are off stage, phone and email. Uh, one third are, are are digital. But that that pendulum is swinging very quickly because again, it is way easier and way faster to complain on Facebook, Twitter, etc. than it is to sit down and write an email or to wait on hold to place a phone call. Right? It just and and the other thing is anecdotally. I'm sure this has happened to you and to many people listening. You called or emailed. You didn't like what you heard. So you went to Twitter or something like that and you complained there. And lo and behold, you got better treatment in social media than you did on the phone or email, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that is everybody knows somebody who has that story. Mm. Well, guess what? The next time you have a complaint you're cutting out the middleman. You're not going to call their email first. Like, well, I'm going to Twitter because that was way better last time. Mm. And when that trend plays out over time, guess what you're left with? A bunch of businesses that are set up to answer phone calls and emails, which no longer get (laughs) phone calls and emails. In my own world, I have two teenagers. I have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. They they have smartphones, of course. But that is the worst name for a device in the history of devices. (laughs) Because of all the functions of that device, the only thing they do not want to use is the phone. You can't make them use the phone. It is is brutal. Watching my son, who's actually just in the other room, so I have to be quiet about this part. (laughs) Watching my son talk on the phone is is physically painful to me. (laughs) It's like, you know, you hand him the phone. Here, talk to your grandmother. She wants to talk to you for Christmas. And he's like... Hello, (laughs) fine, fine, (laughs) fine, (laughs) okay, and hands the phone back, right? Right, It's just brutal. But, but, you know, they Snapchat all day, they Instagram, they Mm. text 300 times a day, anything but the phone. They all prefer asynchronous communication to synchronous communication. And this trend is is going to change the world because I do not believe, I fundamentally do not believe that these kids are going to get to be 22, 23, 24 and in the world and have jobs and going to sit down at their desk and say, you know, I've been thinking. I've been missing out on the joys of telephonic communication all these years. <laughs> 
let me now in a recursive fashion embrace the wonders of the telephone. <laughs> That's not going to happen, right? right. So I mean, it just, just simple study of consumer behavior tells you that if you are thinking of your customer service department as a quote unquote call center, you need to start thinking of that as a Snapchat center or a WhatsApp center or a WeChat center, or a Facebook messenger center, because the call portion of that is going away. Well, uh, social media gets a lot of, of the attention and, and rightfully so as it relates uh, to haters. But I feel like, and as I read your book, this sort of opened my eyes to the fact that many are ignoring uh, things like, or not placing importance on things like discussion boards mm-hmm. and forums and review sites. How, how important are those? Massive, uh, you know, by the numbers. If you look at all the people who complain online, if you look at the numbers, the majority of those people actually communicate on review sites. Mm. So whether it's Yelp, TripAdvisor, SpiceWorks, G2 Crowd for software, um, I talk about a, a site uh, in the book uh, called Real Self, which is a ratings and review site for plastic surgery. Mm. So you can go in there and give one to five stars to your recent butt lift, which is pretty <laughs> exciting. Uh, you know, these pectoral implants are three stars. You know, it's what I always think. So, but I mean, every industry has one or more. Uh, sites, you know, apartmentratings.com, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and they have huge, huge impact because we believe, we believe ratings and reviews Mm. a lot. Approximately 80% of Americans believe ratings and reviews as much as they believe recommendations from friends, even though those reviews were written by perfect strangers. It's like we somehow have come to the conclusion that if it's on the internet, it must be true, which is probably a bad, a bad uh, (laughs) line of reasoning Mm. for us all. But So ratings and review sites, hugely important. People use them much more so than businesses acknowledge. And then when you think about discussion boards and forums, another place where you get lots and lots of chatter about brands. I mean, what are you going to do on a discussion board or forum other than talk about brands in many cases? And, And what businesses fail to understand is that their best and most passionate customers or potential customers are on discussion boards and forums because you have a topical purity there that you simply don't have on Facebook. I mean, if you're going to spend time, uh, I'm a, uh, a barbecue guy. I have a pellet smoker, a very specific type of mm. barbecue equipment. And so there's a forum I go to all the time called pelletsmoking.com. Well, look, you're not spending time at pelletsmoking.com unless you are all in <laughs> on everything pellet smoking. And so if you're talking about brands there, like you really, really care. Mm. Fortunately, many of the brands in that industry do participate in that forum and they answer questions and they're proactive and it's a great example of doing it well. But man, there are so many places um, out there where, where brands and businesses are like, yeah, that's too niche and weird right. and, and nerdy. We're just not even going to be part of it. And it's a huge mistake. And I would imagine uh, with this that the importance of people specifically hired to handle these kinds of scenarios is ever more important. I think it's having a consistent face, mm. uh, especially in a place like a discussion board where, where it is more personal and, and visceral and more conversational. Uh, I would certainly recommend having the same person or people from an organization uh, participate in every particular discussion board. Now, when it comes to social media, I have a somewhat different thought. Okay. One of the challenges I think that companies have in social media, in terms of social media customer care, is there's this belief not not all the time, certainly, but but I hear this a lot, and you may as well. I hear things like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to put the youngest possible employees uh, <laughs> on Twitter and Facebook because they, and here's where you throw up the air quotes, they grew up with this stuff. 
as if somehow being raised in the era of Facebook gives you good judgment and customer <laughs> empathy uh, as a natural uh, birthright. Not exactly. And, and so you get the least experienced employees mm. uh, handling the most public of customer interactions, mm. which seems like poor decision making, but it happens all the time. And let me tell you, one of the challenges if is that we talked about the fact that people want answers quickly in social media, but a lot of these newer, younger employees don't actually have any answers because they just got to the company. <laughs> and so somebody tweets them and they have to try and get back to them quickly, but they don't know the answer. So they have to go to somebody else in the company and find the answer and then go back, which just slows the whole process down. As I mentioned in the book, it is way easier to teach somebody Twitter than it is to teach somebody your entire company. Yeah. So this concept of let's put the youngest, least experienced people on the front lines in social media uh, probably doesn't make sense. All right. Well, I'd be curious to get your opinion and your thoughts, Jay, on uh, whether or not you think marketers or businesses should be soliciting reviews or, or creating hmm. their own review site. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that sort of the, the $64,000 question, right? I mean, people know that ratings and reviews are important and, and the businesses that do understand that are like, hey, how can we get more of them five-star reviews, right? <laughs> because they outweigh the one-star reviews and a lot of people make decisions or at least narrow their choices based on average reviews, right? On a five-point mm. scale happens all the time. Like, you know, it, it's not uncommon for somebody to say, hey, only show me hotels above four stars mm. on a five-point scale. That kind of thing happens. And so it is very much okay to solicit reviews from customers. But you should not, and in fact, it is not legal, um, to tie that review to a particular uh, behavior, mm. right? So there's lots of examples in the book of of companies crossing that line and, and tying uh, reviews to, to behaviors or purchase, or in one case, um, charging customers if they left a bad review, which I think is particularly hilarious <laughs> and egregious. Wow. Um, but I think it's just making sure that you're nudging customers to remind them at an important sort of inflection point that, hey, it would be great if you took the time to review us, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, because ultimately, Jeff, one of the key lessons in the book in Hug Your Haters is that you want more complaints, not mm. fewer. One of my favorite stories in the book is from um, uh, La Pan Quotidien, which is a chain of, of bakeries and their customer experience manager, uh, a woman named Erin Pepper, has been there about a year. And she said her goal when she started was to triple the number of complaints. <laughs> Think about that. Mm. Her goal is not to have fewer complaints, it's to have more. Not because they're a worse company, but she wants everybody who had anything less than a perfect experience to let them know. Because when you know what's wrong, you can actually fix it. The most dangerous customer is not the hater. The most dangerous customer is the meh in the middle. Those people who are dissatisfied but don't tell you and they just fade away and you no longer have their money, nor do you have their insight. It's like a consultant once told me the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. That's, that's, Absolutely. that's the worst yes. reaction you can have. Well, what are some of the biggest obstacles in your mind, Jay, to providing great service? Some of it, especially when you think about online customer service, which is the biggest stumbling block for most businesses. Um, I think most companies have at least a handle on offline and offstage service. They may not be fast enough, mm. but but nobody is reading a book that says get better at answering the phone. Um, <laughs> there's not a book there. Um, but on online and on stage, where the where the challenges and frankly the opportunities really lie, some of the obstacles are simply volume. Right? There's a lot of chatter online. Uh, I think one of the biggest obstacles is channel proliferation. So off stage, you basically have 
phone and you have email and maybe people are still sending you letters on occasion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's pretty much the list. Right. On stage, you've got, in theory, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, WhatsApp, WeChat, Facebook Messenger, a million different review sites, discussion boards, forums. I mean, it, it is quite literally a circumstance where you could have <laughs> 10, 12, 15 different channels mm. of customer interaction. And, and you know, each of those channels to manage and staff that requires resources and a commitment. Um, and so instead of saying, hey, we're going to do that, uh, companies say, let's just not do that at all. Let's just ignore that whole um, mm. set of circumstances, which I understand, but as is the case in the book, um, it is not a good way to run your business over the long term. I believe that companies need to meet customers on the ground of the customer's choosing, not the ground of the company's preference. And if that means you've got to be more places, then guess what? You've got to be more places. This has been fascinating, first of all. But before I move on to a couple of questions, Jay, not directly related to the book, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we, we walk away with? Indeed. There is a principle in the book, uh, and, and both uh, there, there's two chapters devoted to specifically exactly how to handle haters. So there's a chapter on how to handle onstage haters and a chapter on how to handle offstage haters uh, and the key principles of each. There's also a, a poster in every book called The Hatrix, uh, which describes the different types of haters and, and the customer advocacy benefits you get from answering or not answering them. So you don't get too many books with a poster that you can pull out and put on your wall. And I think that's pretty cool. Mm. But of those different specific recommendations, the one that I think resonates the best with people is Jay Bear's rule of reply only twice. Mm-hmm. And the, rep- the rule of reply only twice says that you should never, ever, 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 ever <laughs> reply to a customer more than two times in any online public capacity mm. because it's just a colossal waste of time. If somebody says, I love you, you say, and I love you. And they say, no, we really love you. And you say, no, I really love you. And after that, you're just, you know, you're just wasting time. Asked, <laughs> asked and answered. In a more common scenario, mm. someone says, I hate you. And you say, we're terribly sorry we disappointed you. And they said, no, we really hate you. And you say, we're really sorry something has gone amiss. Please call or email so that we can discuss this at greater length. And when they come back a third time, which will happen in some cases, mm you just walk away Mm. because you've answered, you've apologized and you've given them not one, but two chances to have an actual dialogue about it. After that, you walk away because if you don't, it is very easy to get caught into a vortex of negativity, which will not end well for you and is also a waste of your time Mm. because remember, yes, you want to make the hater happy if you can, but more importantly is the fact that you've got all of these onlookers, the spectators, and what they're looking for is, does this company listen? What are their values? Do they care about your customers? And you're not going to prove that anymore. You've already proven it by replying twice. So do not Mm. waste your time. Do not spin your wheels. Follow Jay Bear's rule of reply only twice. And by the time the hater gets to response or reply number three, they're really not looking for an answer anyway, like you said earlier in the book, right? Yeah, they're just looking for somebody to beat up on at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jay, I'm wondering if you could name for us a couple of your favorite books in the last two and a half years since we last spoke that that have impacted you, maybe share why or how those books have impacted you as they have. What what are those titles you keep going back to? You bet. I really loved... 
Peter Shankman's book, Zombie Loyalists, which is actually on a very similar theme to Hug Your Haters. Mm. He sort of takes a different approach. Uh, I, I talk about, you know, why why the people who hate you are so important. He talks about how to create people who who love you, right? So it's almost like the it's almost like the opposite book, uh, <laughs> but but it's very much on the same themes. And, and Peter's a, a great uh, a great guy, terrific speaker and consultant. So Zombie Loyalists is one that I really really liked, uh, and one that probably has had a, a really significant impact on me. Uh, is Procrastinate on Purpose, mm. which is a book by uh, my friend Rory Vaden. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about how to multiply your time. So many of us are busy and we get caught up in to-do lists and this and that. And so he, he talks about ways to change how you how you spend your time and, mm. and what you spend your time on uh, to give you better outcomes. And so it's really one of the best uh, time management books that, that I've ever read and, and, and is a totally different type of book along those lines. And it's made a big, big impact uh, on my life. It's terrific. I recommend it to everybody. Had the pleasure of having him on the show about that oh, great. book. And, and oh, fantastic. Loved it tremendously. Yeah, it's really good. Well, as someone who is, is tapped oftentimes to do a fair amount of, of keynote appearances each and every year, I'd be curious to hear from you, Jay, what are some of your uh, tips for uh, delivering uh, an impactful and, and a memorable public talk? Mm. It's taken me a long time to get better at it. Mm. And a couple things that are counterintuitive in many cases, but very, very true, is that put together a presentation, especially a presentation that's based on a book, which is usually what I'm doing. Um, you put together the presentation and then you take half of it and throw it away. <laughs> because the tendency, uh, and this was certainly my tendency when I first started speaking, is to tell people everything there is in the book uh, mm. in, in 60 minutes. And, and it's just too much information. You're better off, instead of having six things in the talk, uh, have three things in the talk, but emphasize them twice. Tell two different stories about each point instead mm. of one story about six points. Mm. Uh, and, and so... Every time you think um, that you might have too much content, you definitely have way too much content. Um, and, and so less is more is very much uh, a tip that, that has proven to be true. And then the second piece, which is difficult for me, uh, but I'm getting better at it, and, and it has a huge impact on, I think you're speaking in general, is to, is to be as be as personal as you can be in your stories and your outlook. Mm. Um, you probably noticed in this book, there's a lot more stories about me mm. um, than there was in utility or other books. And so I'm trying to do it in my writing as well uh, is, is try to kind of break down that wall between my life and what I'm telling the audience to do in the presentation, mm. making it more personal uh, and, and, and visceral and, and frankly emotional. Uh, and it has a real impact on, on audiences to, to sort of share of yourself uh, in that way. And, and for some people, that's just natural. That's just how they speak. It's definitely not natural for me, uh, but I'm trying to get better at it. Uh, I'm seeing more do that. When I talked to John Maxwell a few weeks ago, he talked about uh, his latest book, uh, Intentional Living, being his most mm -hmm. personal. And, and I've read a number of his books. He's written over 100, I think, but certainly is the case. You, you, you hear more of John's uh, in the personal side of John's life. And I did find that to be true uh, in your book. And, and, and those, were, those stories, like I mentioned with the interaction with your with your teenagers are, are, are the ones that really drew me in and, and caught my attention as much as anything. So I, I appreciate that about it very much. Oh, thank you. That's nice to hear. Well, uh, I want to go back to the book for just a second as we wrap up with the book prepared to launch here in a few months. I wanted to give you a chance to share with us uh, about some of the bonuses, uh, yeah. where to find more about yeah. the book online, et cetera. 
So March 1st is the official release date, uh, but I'm super excited about this. I don't even know how my publisher agreed to this, but they did. I think I caught them in a moment of weakness. <laughs> uh, if you go to hugyourhaters.com uh, and you pre-order the book, we will send you an email with a link to download the galley copy. So it's 97% done mm. uh, immediately. So you get access to the whole book now, even though the book doesn't come out until March 1st. Uh, and that's for any order. And then if you buy multiple copies, there's all kinds of bonus stuff. There's webinars with me. There's socks that say I love haters which are amazing <laughs> I love those. Uh, there's uh, you know assigned posters there's all kinds of different bonuses um, so just go to hugyourhaters.com uh, very fair pricing free shipping the whole thing uh, and you get access to the book right this second mm. and bonuses ranging from uh, $35 on the low end to uh, over $47,000 on the high yeah. end depending on how many yeah. you buy so pretty yeah awesome. actually somebody uh, is going to do that I just got an email uh, yesterday there's somebody who's going to buy that package uh, which wow. includes not only a a live keynote speech with me, but you get to come to Indiana, uh, stay at my house, and then we go to an Indiana uh, Pacers game, mm. uh, a Colts game, or an Indiana Hoosiers basketball game, uh, uh, you and me. So that's kind of a fun one. Wow. Uh, well, Jay, thank you so much uh, for your time. I'm finding the book uh, fascinating about uh, three-fourths of the way th- uh, through it now. And, and, and your books have always, uh, even utility, I still get emails about utility from time to time and how it's impacted uh, people having you on the show all those all those thank many you. many months ago. So thanks thank for being you. here. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And and yeah, utility continues to to sell very well, and and it's gratifying. So many businesses now, so many companies use utility as as a core principle in their marketing. Now, uh, the, the impact that that concept has had uh, in in the actual real world of marketing has been uh, really really gratifying. So hopefully, we can have the same impact with hug your haters. Find out more about Hug Your Haters and the links and other resources Jay and I talked about on the page created especially for this episode. It's called the show notes page, and you'll find it at readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 112 for episode 112. Be sure and connect with Jay, too, on Twitter. You'll find him at Jay Bear. That's B-A-E-R on Twitter, at Jay Bear on Twitter. If you're in the States and want to get on the waiting list or be notified when Read to Lead University launches, text the word university to 33444. And we always appreciate your rating and review of the show. It helps the podcast get found. If you can go to either iTunes or Stitcher, we'd appreciate it. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher to leave your rating and written review. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 